Ladies and gentlemen, the Conservative Daily Podcast is back. And now your amazing hosts, Joe Altman and Max McGuire. And welcome back to the Conservative Daily Podcast. Joe just had to jump out real quick, but he will be right back in a second. In a second. Before we get to um, our guest attorney, Mr. Eastman, um, I want to play a quick clip because this came from Joe Biden's press conference yesterday where he admitted that he had to stop talking, otherwise he might get in trouble. Let's play cut number two. Will you make it faster to get for them to get the vaccine? The vaccines we will get soon. India? India. They're suffering at what this moment. What do you moment. say to the folks in India? Look, it- I, I'm sorry. I'm going to just the last question I'll take. And I, I'm really going to be in trouble. With regard to India, I spoke at length with Modi, the prime minister. We are sending immediately. This is just, we see this over and over again. He's the president of the United States. He's the leader of the free world. You cannot get in trouble for taking a question. But for some reason, Joe Biden is told that he's not allowed to take questions or he's only allowed to stand up in front of a podium for so long. He's only allowed to take so many questions. Just one of those things, Joe, that makes you wonder, (sighs) who is it that's going to punish the leader of the free world for taking a question? Because obviously he's going to be in trouble in some way, shape or form. Okay, so I think that um, I, I, I think that he might get in trouble because they're going to make him smoke some Parmesan. <laughs> no, that's his son. And his son, his son Hunter, is going to be teaching a course at, I believe, Tulane. Yeah, on of fake all news. places. You can't of make all... that up. You can't make no. that up. Guys, he has a huge media background, if you didn't know. A huge media background. Yes. He's been in the... Has he? Hold on. Just I'm like his huge oil background. That. He's been in... Look, look, well, Josh, he's been in the headlines his entire life. Okay, I think that... I think it counts. I can't find anything else, though. I'll keep looking. All right. Well, while Josh looks, we are going to welcome on our guest for this hour, Mr. John Eastman, attorney. Welcome to the show. Do we have him, Josh? I'm on. Thank you. John! Mr. Altman, how are you doing? Mr. McGuire, I don't think I've met you before, but uh, nice making your acquaintance. It's nice to meet you. I've, I've seen you on television many times. Yes, uh, it's so, it's been an interesting year. <laughs> yes. So why why don't you? We, we like to do this when we have a guest on, just in case people don't know who they are. Why don't you, for a, a minute or two, explain who you are, and explain what happened to you this year? He doesn't after need the an January sixth. Everybody insurrection. Knows. We, we, He's as popular just, as 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 uh, Peter Biden. <laughs> so so. I am currently the 2021 uh, visiting scholar in conservative thought and policy at the University of Colorado Boulder. But I need to make very clear that I'm not appearing on your show in that capacity mm-hmm. uh, or in my retired capacity as the Henry Salvatore professor and former dean at the Chapman University School of Law. Um, uh, I was uh, uh, induced to retire from Chapman and uh, my and I was suspended from my classes and my other duties at the University of Colorado uh, for a couple of things. For one, applying my 20 years worth of scholarship on the meaning of the Constitution Citizenship Clause uh, to Kamala Harris last August. Uh, her parents were not citizens or lawful permanent residents when she was born. They appeared at the time, and I, I, I think I've confirmed this sense that they were on temporary student visas. And under the original meaning of the citizenship clause, that doesn't mean they were subject to the complete jurisdiction as that clause yeah. requires. Um, uh, and then, of course, in early December, middle of December, I represented President Trump before the Supreme Court in moving to intervene in the Texas original action lawsuit on the election challenge. And then uh, uh, to fill a gap in the schedule, uh, uh, I was brought up to the stage at the Save America rally on January 6th, spoke for all of three minutes. And, uh, oh, man, all hell broke loose uh, after that. Uh, not at, not with the crowd I spoke to, I will say. People came from all over the country to hear the president. I did not incite any of them to go down to the Capitol and, and, and leave their spot on the mall to, to, from listening to the president that they'd come to hear. Um but nevertheless, he accused me of helping incite the riot, which was blatantly false, maliciously false, uh, defamatorily false. Yeah. Um, and uh, also uh, accused me of making allegations about election fraud uh, for which I had no evidence. 
Um, the chancellor of the university sent that out as a broad public statement. Uh, I immediately notified my immediate um, supervisor or boss or nominal titular head of the Benson Center that I had sworn out an expert opinion, some of which I got from Joe Altman, um, on everything I had said. And then the next day, he sent out a scurrilous defamatory note saying what he found most irresponsible is that I made those statements without any evidence. Now, he had just yeah. been advised that I had evidence, which means that rises to the level of um, uh, willful, viol- you know, willful false statements or malice, yeah. which for those that do First Amendment libel law, uh, if I am indeed a public fitness stuff, um, that, uh, that, that rises to the level of malice that one needs to prove. Well, I believe if so I that's, remember that's correctly. Been my, that's been my year. Yeah. By the way, one is last thing. Is that all? The is that position, all? The, the position I hold, I, and I, I clerk for Justice uh, Clarence Thomas. My law degrees from the University of Chicago. Pretty high-level credentials in this field. Um, but but one of the things, the, the application process for the visiting professorship here seeks someone who is nationally visible in the areas yeah. of conservative thought and policy. Uh, if I didn't meet it before, I think I certainly did after this, but I guess they didn't and now really you're punished want for the what they claimed to want, pun- which is somebody yeah. that was nationally. Well, I, 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 whatever went into their decision-making, I'm sure they did not take into account your awesome hat that you were wearing that day. Um, <laughs> Mr. Producer, go ahead, put up my screen. Um, Oh, awesome th- hat. Thanks very much. I, 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 I thought that that would have at least got a little bit of, of extra bonus points. Um, but you think yeah, so. no, it, but, it, but apparently, think so. apparently triggered folks that were non-smokers. Cause that looks like the old Marlboro man. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned the defamation. There's been a lot of defamation surrounding January 6th. There's just one, one thing we just learned about. There's a guy who's now suing, I believe move on.org because yeah. move on.org is hosting a petition to try and cancel his business. And all he was, he was sitting at the rally listening to you and others speak. He didn't go to the Capitol. And it's a very interesting defamation case. I don't know if you've, you've, if you've gotten to look at it all, because not only is it dealing with defamation, but it's also dealing with, is it a platform, right? Does, does moveon.org have sufficient amounts of, uh, of curating the content to, to have editorial control? And if they do, which they, they do, then it's them making the defamatory statement. Have you seen anything about this case? What do you think of it? I've not seen that particular case, but I I think before all the dust settles on all this stuff, we're going to we're going to significantly trim back on the egregiously erroneous decision in New York Times versus Sullivan, which has led to a crassening of our public discourse beyond measure uh, and made it impossible for uh, true public figures uh, to defend themselves. Um, against the most inflammatory and, and knowingly false statements because of this heightened standard. You got to be able to prove on the front end that they had malice, not after discovery, but that they had that malice on the front end. Otherwise, in m- many jurisdictions, you're, you're subject to what's called an anti-slap yeah. motion. Yeah. Yep. And your case gets dismissed and you have to pick up the other side's attorney's fees, which means in most instances, you're, you know, you don't have a possibility of bringing a defamation suit. And of course, then how is that played? Well, he didn't even bring a defamation suit. So this all must be true. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's it's utter nonsense. And it's led to just egregiously false statements being made uh, against anybody with fairly serious questions about the validity of the election, uh, about, you know, China deals or Ukrainian deals with the Biden family, whatever it is, uh, you just yeah. you're just not allowed to do that anymore. Apparently, we no longer have a deliberative democracy if, if that holds. Well, that's why I'm particularly excited about the Project Veritas case against The New York Times, because they've oh, gotten wait. further. And the one for case. CNN, which is yeah. cut and dry. It's so they've cut gotten and dry. further against The New York Times than I don't think anyone else has in a long time, um, just to be able to get to that next stage. Um, you mentioned that these are legitimate, like your, your argument about Texas claiming that they have been harmed by another state's actions. That's a legitimate argument. And that's an argument that other states that Democrats make when it comes to things like gun control, Chicago always claims that they are harmed by Indiana's gun control laws. So this is something that Democrats love to make this argument, but you step forward and say, well, this is a good, interesting case. We and, support and, it. And, and now Nebraska, you're canceled for it. And Nebraska, 
And Nebraska and Kansas argued that uh, Colorado's marijuana laws harm them. Yeah. Look, look, the, Sup- the Supreme Court dealt with this issue 40 years ago in the case called Anderson versus Calabrese. John Anderson was seeking access to the ballot in all 50 states, and some states were refusing it to him. And the court held that other states have an interest in, you know, everybody being on the ballot because the only national election we have is for president and vice president. And what happens in one state, therefore, affects the votes and voters and voting rights of citizens in other states. I thought Texas made a fairly persuasive argument on why they had standing here. And it certainly was a colorable enough argument that the Supreme Court should have given it more than the back of its hand. Well, and and we we saw that happen across the country where you saw the 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 courage of the Supreme Court come into question. The fact that they didn't want to, John Roberts, you could trust or not trust what Lynn Wood said about John Roberts coming out and saying, you know, I'm not going to hear any of these cases because um, they're rioting in the streets. I mean, that 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 by itself was, I think, enough to show us that you know, these people hold the highest office or the highest court of law that we have, yet they were unwilling, even seeing the amount of fraud that exists, if there was fraud, I have to put that in there. <laughs> so it'll get deep platform. Um, well, well, we know we know there was some fraud, right? We know, 100%. for example, in Georgia and in Nevada, dead people voted. That's been certified, right? We, we, but but the court the court in Georgia refused to even appoint a judge to hear the case until right. after the case was moved. And the judge in the Nevada case uh, simply adopted a findings of fact from the Democrat law firm that didn't make any mention of the expert affidavit on the evidence of dead people voting 1500 and some or, so, or, so or the we, thousand we or the thousand affidavits that were signed by normal citizens people around the country that that observed firsthand some of the fraud that exists yeah exactly i'd still like to figure out how we got uh, fractional votes being reported in some jurisdictions we have time series data in at the precinct level in pennsylvania and uh, one precinct found an extra ballot that they hadn't reported, and they reported it in. But the way it got translated is 0.62 for Biden and yeah. 0.38 for for Trump on a single ballot. So tell me how that happens. I, I nobody's been able to give me an explanation on how the partial votes. Maybe there's some explanation uh, that that doesn't involve somebody uh, getting a hold of that data and running a multiplier on it. Maybe there's some explanation, but nobody's been able. I can't even conceive of one. And nobody's been able to give me one. Well, I so think that we I, do this on the show. We do this on the show sometimes this week. Go to my screen. This is the audit happening in Arizona right now. It is underway. We like a little bit of transparency. They've lots of transparency for this, but we like to show it. I want to get your opinion because we hear from Democrats that this was the most secure election ever. So can you answer? Can you explain to me? why they're freaking out so much about Arizona. If you truly believe in your heart of hearts that there was zero fraud, you should say you should be happy about this because it'll prove your case. Why are they freaking out well, so much? Well, and one has to ask why the county board of supervisors there fought for months uh, to, to prevent enforcement of the subpoenas. Um, why Perkins Coy has reportedly sent 70 lawyers down there to do everything they can to thwart it. Why they're already starting to engage in a in a media narrative that 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 this is just a political hack job of an audit. It's not a real audit. Or why the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors wouldn't let the ballots be audited in place rather than having to ship them all over to different a different center, which opens the door that if they come up, say, 50,000 ballots different than what Maricopa County claims, it opens the door for the argument, well, you must have lost them in transit. They're doing they're, they're already setting already. up things to undermine yeah. the credibility of, of the audit. I said back in December, if 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 Joe Biden thought that he actually won this election, then he should be the first one at the front of the train calling for a full and transparent and comprehensive audit to rent, lend him the legitimacy that right now he does not have. Uh, and yet the fact that him and his minions are doing everything they can to prevent anybody from looking at any of these red flags, you know, and they're all over the place. I mean, one of the things we found here, is, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's so much. So we've got affidavits from people in Philadelphia who received their absentee ballots already filled out. Now, how does that happen unless somebody in the clerk's office is breaking the law and, f- and filling out that ballot for him? And do we really think that it only happened to the two people we have affidavits from or was it more systematic? 
Or how about the the the, the lovely uh, uh, Georgia University of Georgia student uh, who who testified at the at the uh, Senator Ligon ha- hearing in Georgia that she showed up to vote and yeah. and she was uh, told that she Hard couldn't voted. vote because somebody had already ab- obtained an absentee ballot and voted for her. Now she was allowed to vote eventually. But but and couldn't remember whether it was a provisional or a regular vote, but it was provisional. It probably got thrown out later because she'd already voted uh, or or if she did vote and the other one was counted because you couldn't figure out where it was. Somebody's vote was canceled, canceled out. Now, that doesn't happen just just accidentally with one person. That's a tip of the iceberg evidence of a more systematic attempt to 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 conduct a fraudulent election. Uh, and I don't even need to get into any of the machine manipulations or any of that evidence because there's a huge dispute and pending litigation over those things. But we know this other kind of stuff went on to an extraordinary level. And and we know and we know, John, that there was a, a shredder truck full of ballots. And we also know that, uh, you know, Trad, Chad Wolf, head of DHS, knew about it that they said that he didn't have jurisdiction, passed that information on to someone else, ultimately was handed back to the Secretary of State in Georgia. I mean, we know things that have happened that are not hyperbole. It's not, we're not making this up. And I have friends that are down in Arizona right now that are working on this election, or excuse me, this audit. And right now, there are huge discrepancies already in the counting of the ballots. That's important to know. Because every ballot has a ballot box. Those ballot boxes are stacked. They're all recorded. There's huge discrepancies happening right now on whether or not they're valid ballots. Ballots, right now. We're we're, we're not right even here, right here. Yeah, right here in Colorado. Uh, you know the the laws are designed so we've got contradictory statutes on the books in Colorado on voting eligibility. The statute on residence requirement specifically says. You're not deemed a resident if you're only here to attend college. Uh, And yet the verification of your legal ability to vote, uh, showing your buff card from the University of Colorado, which which you get just for being a student without any indication on whether you're a Colorado resident or a non-resident, that's enough for them to accept your vote uh, at the absentee ballot voting or the early voting uh, or to just drop it into the drop box, the, the, the unobserved drop box. So, I mean, th- there's a huge problem in this state that supposedly is the gold standard on, on, on absentee voting. It's, it's not the, what they've done. It's the gold standard for opening the door for fraud and, and making it very difficult to prove it after the fact. So, so, so just so you know, I was supposed to testify, um, way back at the legislative audit. So there was an audit committee meeting in uh at the university or excuse me at the, the capitol in colorado and i was supposed to testify i was in the room i was on the on the deal i was supposed to testify everything that i knew about the election how i stacked it up how i knew that dominion had these certain faults why i saw it as small cons and big con and how how the system was able to do what it did and so they walked in one of the news people walked in and said joe just had COVID very recently you can't let him testify right or he, he can't be in this room so they took me out of the room because they said I had COVID, even though I had a negative test, moved me into another room. And then I kept going back going, hey, when am I going to testify? When am I going to testify? They've removed me from testifying and put people in place that basically ran out the clock, right? For two hours. Yep. Wayne Williams talked for two hours. And, and frankly, we have a, John, we have a big problem on the, on the, in the Republican side, just like we do on the left. Right. We have left Republicans. We have people that are just traitors to the American people that say that they are actually conservative, say that they are standing up for conservative values and they're not. And this is one of those examples. At the very end, Sean Smith stands up, talks about all the things in the in the audit of the system, which should have been problematic to make sure that Dominion was never certified for the state of Colorado. Right. And it waited till the very end after everyone was gone before he talked. And then they took a vote to say, all right, let's audit the secretary of state's office. Simple, right? Just audit this. It's a really simple deal. Let's just audit it. And what do you think happened? I actually, you know what happened, but they said, oh, no, nothing to see here. There's a nothing burger. Nothing to see. Right. Well, that's, that's like the false narrative that, you know, 90 cases were heard and, and the Trump evidence of fraud was rejected in every single one of them. Not true. I mean, that, 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 is, that is false on a number of different levels. 
first of all, the Trump team only brought 26 out of those 90. A lot of other people just were just filing suits, some of it frivolous. But but of the of the of, of the 82 or 84 suits that were actually filed, of the 26 that were actually filed by the Trump campaign, uh, 16 of them, or, I mean, sorry, 18 of them uh, were dismissed on jurisdictional grounds. Uh, mootness or ripeness or latches or these kind of things without ever looking at the evidence. Of the remaining eight, four of them, uh, Trump actually won, but they were on on minor legal issues like, are we allowed to have an observer in? Was it a violation of state law to change the date for return of the absentee ballots? Those kind of things. None of them ever actually looked at the evidence, save for a couple, which did it in such a cursory way, it was laughable. Some of it did it on a motion to dismiss. And for any uh, lawyers in the audience, you know exactly what that means. But for those that aren't lawyers, um, on a motion to dismiss, you're supposed to take well-pleaded facts in the complaint as if they were true and only grant the dismissal if even accepting that what you've alleged is true, you don't meet the necessary legal standards. And And yet in Pennsylvania and in Michigan, some of these cases were dismissed on motions to dismiss um, um, not crediting the factual allegations and sworn evidence that were given. That's not supposed to happen. Uh, and so, you know, the notion that the courts have reviewed this evidence and found it all lacking is just blatantly false. So how does that happen? How, how do we get to that point? Obviously, I understand the fear that a low-level judge would have, that the judge would be afraid that he, that he or she is going to issue a ruling that overturns an entire state's election. I understand that fear. I think it's still cowardice not to do the right thing. Uh, but I can at least understand why they would be hesitant. How do we get appeals courts? How do we get state Supreme Courts and United, the United States Supreme Court to disregard such basic fundamental stuff and just to, to brush it aside? How, how do we get there? Because I, I agree. I, I'm looking at things like the Pennsylvania case where they're, where they're basically saying, oh, well, you waited too long. Well, mm-hmm. if we had brought the case earlier, you'd say we hadn't been harmed yet. So, so yeah. wh- wh- where's, the, where's the Goldilocks zone here? Uh, when are we allowed to bring it and when is it too long? It seems like such a suggest- subjective um, standard. How do we get to the point where these, these higher level courts just brush it aside and, and feel like they can do it without any, with, with total impunity? I thought Joe was going to weigh in on that. I'll weigh in. Look, look I mean, James Madison had it right here. We created a judiciary that was independent in order for it to be able to uphold the law without fear of reprisal. Um, and yet and yet that doesn't appear to have been the case. The, the cancel culture and the look, the mob violence in Portland and Minneapolis and elsewhere around the country last summer uh, was not is not disconnected from this. It was designed to send a shot across the people's uh, the, the, these judges uh, bow. Uh, and, 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 and Senator Chuck Schumer added to it, um, you know, by in one of the pleadings he filed in a, not an election case, but just the census case or something, I forget, that if the just, justices don't go the way we want, there's going to be hell to be. That's not his exact it's phrase. A gun but, case. I mean, it's that a gun was a direct case. threat on yeah. the integrity of the court, and they seem to have blinked. Um, and, and that's the most unfortunate. And, and, and if they hadn't blinked, if that's not the case, then what happened in Antrim County would not have actually survived because Antrim County survived because he actually did a down ballot. So it didn't show up. So it didn't have, the judge didn't have the scrutiny, but once he was already in it, he had already made the decision. He'd already given him full ability to audit those, those dominion systems. Um, that's when they finally discovered. And when they did, you know, Matt DiPerno had to have security, get him out of the, out of the building. I mean, this is, this is how serious it is. This is, this is what terrorists do when they're actually influencing elections and influencing judges. No matter where you look, all of these judges, all of these judges, I mean, there was a couple cases that frankly, I thought were poorly written, but the Texas case for the Supreme Court was not poorly written. It was not. My case, my case in the Supreme Court, the Pennsylvania case was not poorly written. Uh, the Jones Day case on the, the yeah. illegal altering of the ballot deadlines, which had been filed in, in, on an emergency stay application back in October. When the Supreme Court could have clarified that non-legislative officials don't get to unilaterally change election laws, certainly not on the eve of the election, as happened there, certainly not on the day after the election, as happened in one of my cases, and certainly not up to three weeks after the election, as happened in another one of my cases. And yet they declined to review any of those cases without, without a word as to why. 
Well, and I think we get to the place where we have activist judges. We have people that are actually put in positions that are a part of this larger framework of trying to destroy or disrupt what we do as a country. They, they are not making decisions based on law. Had they made decisions based on law, we would have had a different outcome. I think we'd have a different outcome on January 6th. We'd have a different outcome on January 20th. Everything would have been different. But we, we, have, a, we have a weakened constitution, a weakened amount of, of courage in our, in our uh, judiciary. And then on the other side, Frankly, they're working together. They're colluding together. They're, they're conversations they're having to let's let's steer the American voice the way we want it. In essence, canceling the voice of the American people and turning a, our country into a, a, you know, a communist nation. Well, undermining one of the most fundamental principles of our Declaration of Independence, legitimacy yes. of government is based on consent of the governed. I'll give you one very clear example of this. In August, last August, the League of Women Voters filed a, essentially a collusive suit against the Democrat Secretary of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The purpose of the suit was to take the, the long acknowledged um, statutory requirement of signature verification uh, on absentee ballots and, and add a layer of due process protection to that process. Um, by if you were going to invalidate a ballot because the signature didn't match the signature on the registration card, you had to notify the voter of that fact and give them an opportunity to cure. That was the that was the purpose of this litigation. But the Secretary of the Commonwealth, Kathy Vukvar, said, "Ah, oh, you know what? I've looked at the statutes and I just I read it differently. I, you know, contrary to 50 years of practice here, I don't think we have a signature verification requirement at all." And she said, "I'll just cut a deal with you and enter into a consent decree that there's no signature verification." She was way out of limb on that because it was so clear cut that there was a signature verification requirement. So then she asked the partisan elected Pennsylvania Supreme Court in a in a motion for a king's bench warrant or something. I, I you know, I remind people up there. I don't think I don't think you've had a king's in 1775, but 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 maybe yeah. they know something I don't know. Uh, anyway, the partisan elected uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court ratified her decision. Hey, yeah, there's no signature verification requirement. Uh, and then in addition to that statute that we've just gotten rid of, uh, it makes no sense to then let people object if the signature doesn't match. So we're going to get rid of the objection statute as well. Uh, and then, of course, it, you know, having gotten rid of those, uh, the notion that somebody has to be in the room to observe, it's OK if you're in the room at the entrance door of the 300, you know, uh, football field length. Right. Philadelphia Convention Center it, yeah. because there's no purpose of being yeah. there since there's no observation that's going to lead to any action because I've already struck those down. I mean, it, it, it's laughable. And yet this went on with impunity and, and the Supreme Court refused to do anything about it. So were, were there no Republicans in Pennsylvania who try, who tried to intervene in that case early on? Because it seems pretty cut and dry that if the if the Democrat uh governor or whoever is basically agreeing with it. Usually courts are supposed to let someone else come in because there's supposed to be two parties. It's not, it's not supposed to be just one party and then the other party agrees. It, it they, seems they, like the whole they, thing was decided in absentia. The, the legislature did try and intervene. They were denied. Uh, if I recall correctly, there were a lot of cases, but I think on this one, their, their effort to intervene as parties was denied, but they were allowed to file an amicus brief, which gives you no standing to challenge uh, the, uh, the the result. Um, they, you know, other other legislators tried to intervene. And by the way, the, the state legislature there begged the governor for two months to call them into special session so that they could review the significant allegations of fraud, of illegality and what have you and make it the determination on whether what occurred was sufficient to have altered the results of the election. The Democrat governor of the state refused to call him into session, and they had come back into session the week of the joint session of Congress in early January. And they had one of the leading letters to Mike Pence. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I just got to clarify, the false story that was leaked to the New York Times by Mike Pence's chief of staff, that I had told Pence he could just unilaterally declare president reelected. That's not, I mean, there were law review articles out there from 2000 that had suggested the vice president had that power. But when he asked me point blank, do I have this power? And I said, you know, it's a close call. It's an unresolved question, but it would be foolish, even if you had such power to exercise it in the absence of the legislatures certifying the alternate Republican slate of electors. 
What you need to do is simply delay the proceedings enough so that these legislatures chomping at the bit to come into special session now in regular session could do some formal analysis on whether their electors had been legally certified or not. And he refused even that request. But because it was such a reasonable request, it's not a surprise that, to me that his chief of staff leaked to the New York Times that he'd been asked to do something much more, <laughs> much more over the top. All right, so I'm going to put you on the, st- on the spot because you obviously know that I was knee-deep in this on January 5th, January 6th. Um, the, the amount of research I've done since then to validate not just fraud in, in different states that we've talked about, the swing states, but in states across the country, and not just for Dominion, but talking about Smartmatic and ESNS. I want to put you on the spot a little bit because I know that, I know that Mark Meadows was... President Trump's chief of staff. You know where I'm going to go with this? Yeah, yeah. Why? Why did he stand in the way? Why was President Trump being advised over and over again that you you just need to let this let this go? You need to let this go. Why were they why were they abandoning in the final hour? And again, I know more that I'm not going to put on this show, but I'm going to tell you. I'm, I am, I came back to a coup you, and you don't know this, but they tried to take my company from me. They had someone inside my company, right? And so it, it, it caused me great pain. I'm no longer the CEO of my company, right? I've, I got a lawsuit against the, the crap bag Coomer. I've got all sorts of other th- stuff that I have to deal with on a regular basis. I have to have security for my family. I mean, you name it, right? Why is it at that moment, we, it could have been settled at that moment had there been, not been that intervention. Why? Why were the people closest to him stabbing President Trump at the same time that they were smiling? Take it away. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah I, I'm going to try and I'll, I'll offer a range of answers because I, in my heart, I don't know which of these answers is correct. Um, one of the more conspiratorial answers is um, that the ability to ma- manipulate elections with machines is an old is an old long-standing CIA involvement in foreign elections trick that nobody wanted to see the light of day. I believe and that. a lot of key pe- a lot of key people in the government were nervous about any any exposure on that front bouncing back to, to the, the national interests uh, detriment. Don't know. I don't know. I've seen that uh, urged. Others, others are that they had looked at it fairly intensely, um, but but without fully appreciating the extent of the utter anti-Trump level in the in the swamp in the lower level bureaucracies. I mean, look, Bill Barr and Mark Meadows are not the ones that were doing the analysis of the election fraud. And when they got their key guys, their key lieutenants reporting to them, we've looked at this thoroughly and found no evidence of fraud. Um, they don't in their jobs. They don't have the ability to do more than that. And I know. I'm, I'm, remember, I'm giving you the range of things here. Remember right? where I was um, on January sixth. Remember where I was. I know. I know. And yeah. I and I said. Yeah. You know. And and then they're looking at Mr. President. It's it's over. We need to we need to have a soft landing to keep your credibility up. So that's one explanation. The 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 the. the, the the third is that they were just they were happy, like many in the establishment Republican Party, to see Trump on his swan song so that we could get back to normal <laughs> in the Republican Party as far as they're concerned. And uh, they weren't willing to fight for it, even if it had been stolen, that there was some good to come out of it because the dust on the Trump era would settle. Now, if that's true, and I don't know whether that's true. I mean, Mark, Mark Meadows was a member of the Freedom Caucus, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, so uh, I, I, I'd be surprised if that was a true story. But let's but let's say it's true. Um, what they've done is made a major miscalculation. This movement, this movement, this 80 million strong movement that began back in 2008 with the Tea Party is not is not a, it's a movement that Trump got ahead of. But it's not a movement that was created by Trump. American people have started to see what's going on in their government. And it's got nothing to do with constitutional authority that's been granted to them. Uh, it's it's we've become an oligarchy, and and with, with the media and 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 major money, and we no longer and even electing a president can't control the direction of the executive branch. This movement was there already. 
uh, even before Trump. And they, they, if, if this was the true explanation for why this wasn't pressed harder, um, then they've made a serious miscalculation. Because I think the movement is even more energized as a result of what they've now seen and, here than it was before. And now they're having to censor people at an alarming rate. We get censored, we get shadow banned, we go through this all the time. And we're one of the most popular conservative shows out there, right? We, and But you talk about the report that Radcliffe did that didn't come out. You have Navarro, what information he had. I was at the Secretary of State. I was, I was at the, Secretary, um, the State Department. I was there in a Faraday yep. box giving information to them that they had never seen before. And, and, I, and, and I was I amazed. I was amazed and at I how much they didn't know. Yeah, because they didn't want to know. Right. But, but he was uh, he literally no, I did was this. supposed to be at that meeting. But you recall, I ended up with a different meeting over in the Oval Office yeah. at the same time. <laughs> but I, but I, you're looking at these papers and you're and he's going, hey, how? And he goes, show me. And you, obviously you're in a Faraday box. You can't have elect- I said, I'll send you more information. Let me send you more information. What about the Election Integrity Project where you had, you know, guys that were from MIT that did a granular study of the election data, the, the voting data and came back with. Flip votes from precinct to to cities. It was unbelievable. And it's not even something you can deny. And since I know for a fact, because I go out there and I get data from these different states today, and I go, all right, so if this data is correct, then these these votes are all fraudulent. And they're like, oh, well, that data is not correct. And I'm like, okay, can I have the real data? Oh, we don't have it. Yeah. What do you mean you don't have it? This is John. This is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with playing hide the weenie a little bit. They're just doing this little thing. And when they say they don't have it, the immediate first, the immediate response should be, well, well, you're legally required on pain of felony uh, to have it for 22 months. Are you saying you've committed a felony and destroyed it? Or are you just illegally not giving it to me? Right. No, no. You know, and, and it's just look, you look in a place that nobody looked at Montana. With the audit that happened in Montana two weeks ago that found a 6.33 fraudulent ballot rate. Um, and, and the statistical analysis the team I've been working with had done had identified that county as one of the anomalies around the country and said, see, our statistics are actually bearing out. Same 100%. thing happened 10 days ago in New Hampshire. Uh, again, and, and if the audit is allowed to proceed to full comprehensive effect in Maricopa, that was like a 10 standard deviations off what was expected in Maricopa with the results. That's another one of these huge outlier counties. Uh, and I think we'll learn a lot. The question is, I mean, they're already setting the narrative to prevent it from looking like the fraud that we know it is. Yeah. It's extraordinary. And, and you, but- you gave us those three possibilities. And the third one might seem like it's more of a stretch. But when you see people like Liz Cheney, how they're still out there trashing Trump and, and how quickly they flipped after January 6th and how quickly they were to h- grab onto this narrative that Donald Trump had started an insurrection and they were just going to use that. Lie. And they're still going, they're still going it's full speed, right? They're still going full right. speed ahead against Trump. They, there were people like you look at the Paul Ryan's in the party. Paul Ryan never wanted Trump to win. He actually encouraged right. Republicans not to support him after that original tape came out. So I, I yep. completely believe that there is an establishment Republican group that just was happy left for Trump Republicans, to leave. Left Republicans. I, I'm sh- I would were, be shocked if Meadows than, was in there. They would be. They were more than happy to raise money. I'm on not Trump, shocked. You know. <laughs> now look, look. Uh, uh, yeah, what? what look, yeah, we, we've we've known this for a long time, and and I'll go back to the Tea Party analogy. The Republican establishment in Washington saw the Tea Party as a bigger threat to their ongoing largesse power uh, than the Democrats, because the unholy deal uh, that that most Americans haven't realized is we are a two party system. We're the insiders in the beltway and the rest of us out in the in the flyover territory. And and when the Republicans have a majority there, I think they actually prefer not to be in the majority. When they're in the minority, the, the trillion dollar pie gets split up maybe 52, 53 percent for the Democrats and 47 percent for the Republicans. And that's still a lot of money. And they don't catch the flack because the Democrats are in charge. But when they're in the majority and they flip the percentages, you know, just, you know, still still both of them getting a lot of money. But now all of a sudden they're in charge and they catch all the flack with the added level of vitriol that the media 
media has for Republicans. So I, I think they prefer to be in the minority and just, you know, give some votes for the uh, 2.5 trillion unconstitutional infrastructure bill and, you know, and let it be dispersed of all of our buddies and, and all of that. And so what I think happened in the Tea Party movement is people realize we got to stop going on this suicidal spending path. And then what we saw over the last four years is we got to stop having a bureaucracy that is not accountable to the results of an election. Um, and, and, and people now finally, I mean, if, if we're right, if Joe and I are right about the extent of the fraud, we're talking 80 million to 68 million votes. I mean, that's not just a Trump victory. That's a, that's a realigning election. That's a American people populist uprising against the swamp that is no longer complying with 100%. the dictates of our government. And 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 uh, if we're right about that, that means there's still 80 million people out there that that is an army that can take over any election now that we're focused on it and we know what to be looking for. So I'm not ready to give up on it yet and take up arms and whatever. And I certainly didn't call for an insurrection on, on January 6th. Oh, yeah. But I will say this. The people that are blaming me and President Trump for uh, uh, inciting the insurrection because we caught, talked about election fraud. It, it, why isn't it the people that did the fraud being the ones that incited that, react, you know, that reaction? Right. I mean, that's if we're right about this, then the people that that did the fraud are the ones that caused the angst against the government. And I've never seen anybody making that connection in the major media. I have. I, look, I have been unapologetic about everything. I mean, just to the point where I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to tell the truth, right? The truth will set me free. People will either hear it or they won't hear it. I think one of the things that people gravitate towards on our podcast is the fact that we, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be unapologetic. I'm going to speak with courage. I'm going to speak with truth. And frankly, the things that you said on that stage were truthful. They were truthful. You didn't lie about anything. You didn't tell, you told people that here's the constitution. Here are your rights. Here's what you should be looking into. And by the way, go do it peacefully. You said it. President Trump said it. There was nowhere in, there was no words in there. It's fight for your rights. We should fight for fundamentally our rights. We should fight to preserve our voice. And yep. the, the, the thing well, about that's what, what, remember what, what Trump said, go down to the Capitol peacefully and patriotically peacefully. and let your voices be heard. If that's not a call for the exercise of our First Amendment rights to freedom of association and freedom of speech and the right to petition our government for redress of grievances, all three of those clauses are in, yes. you know, in the First Amendment. Right. That, you know, that, you know, but 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 it didn't fit a narrative. What they tried to do in, in cutting off the head of the snake is to destroy the entire snake. It has not worked because people have seen what went on and are angry about it. Uh, and, and homegrown operations and organizations and associations are popping up in every county, in every township across the country of people that saw what happened and know that we no longer control the direction of our government. And they're bound and determined to take it back. Lots of people in the comments section are saying it wasn't an insurrection. It was not. And, an insurrection. Uh, it was not. The lies that came out of January 6th were not from you on stage or Rudy Giuliani on stage. It came from the media. The, the chief example being Brian Sicknick, the officer who passed away. The narrative that was pushed was that he was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. Never happened. And it just wasn't true. He died of natural yep. causes the following day. I believe they ruled it a stroke. Go to my screen, Mr. Producer. This is CNN trying to do damage control. And this is the headline they did. Sicknick death ruled natural, but experts say stress can set off strokes. Imagine, imagine the They're just the liars. Precedent. They just make They're, up whatever they it, want. But if that was actually the way the law works, <sighs> anytime a police officer died in any situation, it's a stressful job, right? And anyone he came into contact with could have killed him. But here's the crazy part. They're trying to get these guys, Julian Cater and George Tanios, on spraying him with bear spray. The prosecutors just admitted in court that they didn't spray him with bear spray or, or mace or any kind of chemical spray. So they, they have lied in court and said that these two guys sprayed down the officer and that that could have been stressful. That could have led to the stroke when they never did it. They never did it. All, all, but this all, is how the lie, this is how get, the lie circulates. Yeah. All designed to get one adjective in the narrative. 
which instead of it being a riot or an insurrection, it was a deadly riot or a deadly insurrection. And uh, and uh, and it it turns out not to be true. It also turns out not to be true that the people that were up at the White House on the mall listening to me, listening to President Trump, um, took marching orders and marched down there to uh, invade the Capitol. Uh, The 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 invasion, the incursion of the Capitol was planned by Antifa and by the Ohio Oath Keepers um, weeks in advance. We've got the Twitter. We've got the Twitter feed from Antifa telling people to buy MAGA gear, pretend you're Trump supporters, 100%. and then go and cause as much much trouble as you can. Now, now, am I going to sit here and say that no Trump supporters were caught up in the moment after the were in the Capitol as well? Of course not. But they knew that that's a reaction you can get from a crowd. Somebody breaks in a window and says, "Let's take back our house. This is the people's house." You're going to get some folks to go in. But the instigators of this thing were not that Trump crowd, which was there for a peaceful rally. And I and just anybody that thinks otherwise, I ask you this. How many rallies has Trump had over the last five years? In almost every single instance, there was a counter rally designed to try and create violence. Where was the counter rally at this one? Probably the biggest one of his entire presidency. None. There wasn't one. Why? Because they, were because they had made the strategic decision to, to, to infiltrate and then blame it on the Trump people. We did a two-hour show on John Sullivan. Go ahead, put up my screen, Mr. Producer. This is the Antifa activist who was doing a lot of those online stuff. This who, is his mugshot. Who's not under indictment by the by the feds, not under indictment right now. While others are being arrested, this guy was let go, and he was inside yeah. the Capitol. Not only including that, people, but including people who were in, who were invited into the Capitol by the Capitol Police, yeah. moving the barricades and said, come on in. And they went in and now they're being hounded by the FBI for a trespass yeah. that it's not a trespass if you're given permission Textbook by the authorities to be there. But but yeah. again, it's 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 part of an air. What's the what's the old James Bond movie where the the media mogul is, you know, in order to sell more headlines, he's he's causing uh, ships to be wrecked or whatever. And he's that, and he's writing yeah. the headline and telling people what to do. This is what it feels like. Well, I, yeah, it, it's bizarro world. I mean, we're dealing with bizarro world, and which is why I, I which is why I pressed you a little bit on people around President Trump. Uh, I was pretty twisted when, you know, I was supposed to on the seventh go meet with President Trump, and Mark Meadows said not a good idea, and I was like, why isn't it a good idea? And then Giuliani, I, I don't, I can't even, I, I don't know, man, I don't. I, I look at it, and I don't know who's on what side, and it, it feels as if there's this power and authority struggle that happens and it just drives me crazy because the country should it matter is. more. I, 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 and, uh, and Joe, you and I were both, we're both there at the Willard in the, in the, in the different war rooms and command centers. Yeah. And, um, uh, one of the, th- I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm an optimist of heart and I have faith in the good character of people until proven otherwise. And so some of these folks, look, there were some of our guys that that early on got a little bit ahead of some of the evidence. Now it's backfilling, and it turns out a lot of this stuff was true. But mm-hmm. but um, some of the folks that were had had um, undercut their own credibility early on, and that made it difficult for people to sign on. Right. I think some of what we both saw uh, in, involved some of that. And I, I, I think it's so. For example, you know we've we've <laughs> all seen on the internet the vote spike charts. Right? Yeah. Um, now now. Um, Uh, I still don't have a definitive answer to this. But one of the things we saw new in this election was centralized counting of absentee ballots in Atlanta, in Detroit, in Philadelphia. Now, if Atlanta is not reporting any partial returns all evening when everybody else is doing their partial returns, and then all of a sudden they they drop all of their numbers all at once, that's a heavily Democrat area. You're going to see a big vote spike. Yeah. How do we tell whether that's it or whether they've been partial returns and realize they're coming up short and then going to do a vote spike to steal the election. Yeah. Well, you need and the, the other problem level. Is, the other problem is that that yeah, spike finish, happened at a time where they kicked hold, everyone hold out. On, hold on. Hold on. Go, go ahead. Yeah. But but you got to In order to figure out whether there's a reasonable explanation for that spike or not, you need the county level time series data, which, as I understand it, Raffenberger took down access to. So we can't we can't verify it. But these are the things that raise red flags. But some of it, there might be reasonable explanation. I do think the Antrim County counter report that was hired by the attorney general in Michigan 
by Halderman explains to a very high degree exactly how the stupid errors in re-imaging ballots occurred and led to that vote flip. But this guy, the state's own expert, also acknowledged these machine had Wi-Fi chips on them. They can be hacked. And he's the guy that hacked them with a, with a test of his own Michigan students, said, who's a better football program, Michigan or Ohio State? And 86 percent or whatever it was voted for Ohio State. That just doesn't happen at the University of Michigan. I can guarantee that. And so so the state's own expert demonstrate and, and, and to his credit in his report, even though explaining the vote flip that made so much news, I think in a very credible way, he also acknowledged that the machines, like all of these machines, are susceptible to hacking with security breaches. And I think that's extremely significant, and we really need to get to the bottom of it. Well, look at the case in Minneapolis. I believe it was Minneapolis. The, the woman in charge, maybe it was a complete, fair, honest mistake, but she misplaced the thumb drive and they didn't know where it was it for was, like 10, 15 up, minutes. It ended up back in the machine. It was still in the machine. So, but we saw the it police, take it out. Yeah. The police asked her, do you want us to go find it? She said, no. And then she's sending everyone else to go find it. And so that's in a machine, a machine that we know can be connected to the internet. So theoretically it could have been altered. We don't know. I don't know. But then they come back and say it never left the chain of custody. If the entire staff is trying to find it, it was not in your chain of custody, right? It was outside your chain of custody. And when it's a, attached to a, an internet connected device, it's very far outside your chain of custody, but you're not even allowed to question that. Now, maybe it was a fair mistake, an honest mistake. Like how many times have we left our keys somewhere, left something plugged into a computer we, we shouldn't have? It's a little bit more significant that when they found it, that was when one of those massive spikes happened, right? So uh, maybe I agree. Maybe there is a legitimate explanation for these things, but there's just too many coincidences to turn around and tell us that, no, you're not even able to allowed to ask the question. And if you dare ask the question, you're an insurrectionist or a domestic terrorist or whatever. And, and, and here's the bottom line on this. Uh, if Biden did win, we need to know that uh, with a full audit so that the, the Trump supporters can know they lost the fair, uh, an election fair and square. If Biden didn't win, we need to know that as well and fix it. Um, uh, but 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 the notion that all of these things can't be addressed at all has just heightened that level of angst and suspicion. And that means that we cannot come together as a country until we can have an honest assessment of what went on and the and, and the extraordinary efforts to shut down any honest assessment don't shut down the conversation. They exacerbate the concern. So, so I want to put something up really quick. And John, this is uh, from the Election Integrity Group. Um, you've probably seen this, but this is something that's hard to explain. And go ahead and put this up if we can. So this right here is a is the information that came from Edison data from the New York Times API. It's a combination of precinct, county, time, time stamps used for comparative time series analysis. Now on the left, you can see where it shows that it reports at on 11-4 at 2-11, 29,391 votes for President Trump, right? And on the bottom, at same time stamp, 17,218. You fast forward eight minutes later, President Trump now has, now they changed it from county, Edison reporting county updates to Edison reporting precinct updates. They updated eight minutes later, and now the numbers show uh, 17,218, 29,391 for Biden, the exact opposite for each one eight minutes eight minutes later go ahead take it down yep yep no i know now some you know it is it possible that somebody made that data error no that because because humans aren't data entering this stuff it's supposed to being come in automatically and that means that somebody is manipulating the the upload or or intercepting yep. the upload or whatever um and, and, and until we get the answer to that, this is what I said on January 6th, until we can get the answer to these kind of questions uh, by people who are in office with the ability to do it, they, people don't belong in office. That was my, that, that apparently is what triggered the guy that said, you know, Trump, uh, we want Pence's head on a stick or whatever. No, it had nothing to do with that. I was talking about anybody in office, whether state legislature or the DNI or the president of the United States or whomever, when these kind of things are being presented and they're running them under the rug or th thrown, then, then, then we don't have confidence that we no lo any, any longer control the direction of our government. So now I'm going to ask Guys, I got to run real quick. We got a press conference tomorrow I should announce. Yeah, please um, do. 
It's going to be uh, uh, on the periphery, just off off campus of the University of Colorado, to announce finally because none of the local papers here would would ever print a rebuttal. Um, uh, my my side of the story, my response to the university's false statements against me. So we're going to have a news conference, and we're going to um, we're going to uh, notify the press and the community about how we intend to respond. And I think it'll be an intriguing uh, an intriguing uh, news conference tomorrow. At so noon. so at noon, um, I, I may actually have somebody there actually going live for our listeners here. We may have the opportunity to go live on the show. So we'll see if we can get that to happen as well. But John, I just wanna say God bless you. I mean, I appreciate all the work that you've done, all the support you've given President Trump, the fact that you've been unwavering in your support and you've been unwavering in your faith. And I just wanna tell you, for everyone listening, you are, you are a man of great character and I appreciate you and every other American out there that knows that this fight is, is necessary. Appreciate you as well. Well, I appreciate it, Max and Joe. Thanks for having me on your show. And Joe, thank you for uh, your own expertise on this and applying the level of um, uh, confirmation proof before we get out front and say things that I think is critically important yeah. in this. And I've, I've, uh, I've gained a huge appreciation for the level of um, uh, honesty and certitude you're bringing to the table on those things. I appreciate that. All right. God bless you. I'll, hopefully I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Take All care. Right. So, so John is an amazing guy. Now I met John for the first time at, um, in the war room. He's talking about the war rooms I, I, where I was in those war rooms. And, and, and I haven't gotten a chance to tell everyone a lot about that experience. Um, I will tell you that, uh, the security force that was there, um, nicknamed me boom. <laughs> uh, and the reason why they nicknamed me boom is that there was a bomb threat right outside the building and it, it was over here. It turned out to be a CIA FBI, uh, surveillance vehicle, but the police were, you know, cordoning off the whole place. And, uh, so everyone is, they're saying, Hey, everybody needs to exit this side of the room. We needs to move over here. We have a bomb threat, uh, right at freedom plaza. It, it was literally right above our, our room. And so we, we get everyone over the other side of the room and it gets like really quiet. You know, that quiet you have when yeah, everybody's looking yeah. at each other, like what's going to happen. And I went, boom, <laughs> everybody, everybody in there jumped. And I just started belly laughing. I just couldn't stop laughing. It was the funniest thing. Uh, <laughs> and you had all these guys walking up to me, but it cut that tension really fast. And I was like, guys, you just needed to have a little bit of humor at, at, at this moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, about 20 minutes later, they came up and said, yeah. So it turns out that it was, uh, it's a, a media truck, which it wasn't. Um, but it, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. So you had all these people that, so John was in there. <laughs> <laughs> kind of jumping a little bit. Uh, but it was, it was, and again, you have to have those moments that you can remember. And that was just one of those moments that I thought was really, really funny. <laughs> Took the air out of the room a little bit. Yeah. I, I probably would have been pissed. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody was if pissed. Everyone's worried. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's a good nickname. It's a good nickname. So we had two guests today, completely different topics, but I thought they were good conversations. People seem to like it. If you like this kind of content and you want more from it, please do consider donating either lemons or there is a link to hit the donate button. Um, if, if you want us to do more things like this, definitely, if you can, consider donating or consider participating in our Facts Plus campaigns um, as well. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk to this as we're winding down the show today. Didn't get a chance to talk about this yesterday, but there's very good news, Joe. If you are vaccinated, there's very good news. The CDC now says you can go outside without wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. They restored our freedom. <laughs> they restored, they restored our freedom. Oh, the yeah. big Democrats are so nice. They're so nice to us. So after all this, which, listen, I, I'm on the same bit. If if you in your heart of hearts are saying that the vaccine is completely effective, then you have to at least give a carrot, right? Give us, give people something, right? It, it, something to get their life back if they're going to get vaccinated. Don't just say you're getting vaccinated, you can get vaccinated, but then you just have to still wear a mask everywhere. Apparently they've heard that argument and well, what they're willing to give back to people is if you get vaccinated, 
you can ride a bicycle outside without a mask. I, I, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you this. Okay. I'm just going to tell you this. I think the CDC is a joke and here's why this is my opinion, right? I'm just giving my opinion because they're starting to look down and go, Texas, you're wide open. Florida, you're wide yeah. open. Ah, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You don't want to wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Everyone's happy. But the See? kids still need to wear yeah. it. The kids still need to wear it because according to Fauci, the kids may spread the virus. You know, who's still double masking outdoors though? Joy Reid from MSNBC. I'm going to uh, end with this clip, her terrible. bragging about how she's out for a jog. I believe she also in the past said she's vaccinated, wearing a double mask. Let's go ahead and play cut five. Gupta and Dr. Gupta, I am among the fully vaccinated, uh, joined Team Pfizer, uh, and I did go jogging today in the park. Uh, and I did, this was the mask that I wore with a doctor's mask under it. And most of the people that I saw that were in the park, the park was packed. I would say like 95% of the people still had masks on. Liar. There are people who are getting really upset about Liar. that. I won't name them. Should people Liar. be freaking out that some people like myself who are vaccinated are still wearing masks outdoors? Should we do that? I'm glad you didn't let imagine, them answer. Imagine though. Um, I love this. This is someone on social media saying that if you have been double vaccinated and still wear two masks outside, there's a 100% chance that you have your pronouns in your Twitter bio. And I think that that is a great, a great comment on that video. 100% chance you have your, your preferred pronouns in your Twitter bio if you continue to, to wear double masks. But Joe, excellent news for anyone who has the vaccine. You're not allowed to go outside. <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone here in Texas, like, wait a minute, you guys haven't been going outside? <laughs> so hopefully, uh, hopefully now... Maybe they'll, maybe they'll let us go inside. Maybe they'll let vaccinated people go inside next. Uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. Because obviously they, their house of cards is falling apart. 100%. And they realize that. It's they realize apart. that. It's falling apart everywhere. I mean, we're going, to, we're going to level clear here on May 15th in Colorado. Right? But there hasn't been Just in time anybody... for the All-Star game. Yeah. Oh. Right? Yeah. Just in time for the All-Star game. Yeah. It's really interesting that if, if I had told you yesterday or two days ago that if you're vaccinated, it's safe for you to go outside without a mask, we would get fact-checked and shut down for going against CDC guidance. Isn't I, it funny how that works? I, I was literally just giving you my opinion. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joe Biden, in his attempt to roll out this, the last cup, I promise, Joe Biden, in an attempt to roll out this <laughs> new guidance that if you are vaccinated, you could go outside without a mask, he wore a mask outside and here's the answer when he was asked well why were you wearing a mask if the cdc says you don't let's play this this is joe joe biden's very strange response let's play cut one i uh one at a time if the risk is so low outdoors why doesn't this new guidance apply to everybody because the science indicates that the most certain way to make sure it doesn't spread if both people have been vaccinated the people you're with and you're outside and you chose to wear a mask, sir. You chose to wear a mask. You chose to wear a mask as you walked out here. What message were you sending by wearing a mask outside alone? By watching me take it off and not put it back on to like it inside. Do you have any preconditions before a meeting with <laughs> What a moron. What, 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 what kind of, uh, what, what, were you, what message were you giving? I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. He's out here saying, new guidance. You don't have to wear a mask when you're outside. Even if whether yeah. you're vaccinated or not. And he's wearing a mask. I, I, I mean, it's but, but this is the this is the idiocy we have to deal with, and, and it gets worse every yeah. day. It seems like worse. Yeah, it does. Well, well, we are a little over time, but it was a great episode today. It was a great um, episode. A little bit, a little bit of house housekeeping. I we're we might go live tomorrow, but it's going to be in a different way because we are taking down our Colorado studio to the bare bones building it back up to figure out where a hum buzzing sound is coming from. Um, so I will probably go live alone. Maybe I can figure out a way to get Joe in. Um, yeah. It probably will only be for an hour, but that's going to be tomorrow and Friday. Hopefully not Friday, but definitely tomorrow where we're going to be down for renovations. Renovations. So just giving everyone else a heads up. If we go live tomorrow, it'll just be me. Can so it, maybe got, we'll get Joe. I have one more. I have one more announcement. We have a we have a okay. huge we have a huge event happening on May twenty seventh in Denver, Colorado. 
It is going to be held. Oh, I'm going to get ahead now, of myself. Is that is that we is that is that. I think is that Conservative good. Daily or is that FEC United when you say we? Well, we is everything. So Conservative Daily, okay. FEC United, we have about 70 other organizations that are going to be a part of it. Uh, Mike Lindell has already said that he would be here. I'm going to get ahead of my skis here for a minute and tell you where it's going to happen. It's going to happen at Bandamere Speedway. If it, if if it, And we are, I think we're still getting confirmation today, but Bandamere Speedway, 25,000 people. It is going to be a rally for for freedom, for who we are as Americans to show them that, hey, all of these things you're putting in front of us, we know that they're lies. So it's going to be a, the antithesis to what the media does. We're going to get together. We're going to have influencers for around the nation that'll be there. Um, I'll invite uh, John Eastman. Hopefully he gets to, to speak. We'll have some surprise guests that I'm not going to tell you about on here. But if you're in Colorado or want to come to Colorado for May 27th, please feel free to do that. It'll be a Bandamere Speedway from 3.30 in the afternoon to 7.30 at night. Uh, we have to make sure that we're done before the lights go, uh, before the sun goes down uh, for uh, logistical reasons. But it's gonna, be, it's gonna be amazing. I mean, people from all over the country are gonna be there and it's gonna be, it's gonna be a sight to see. And you're gonna have lots of people that are gonna speak to you and talk to you. And we'll have a chance to stand together as like-minded individuals and, uh, and really just prove to the world that we're not going away. Kind of like John said, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're rising up. Yeah. So lo lots yeah. of good things. Again, remember everyone, we, tomorrow, if we're live, it'll be very different. Just a heads up. Um, uh, Fran in the comment sections on Facebook just said, we're going to be building the studio back better. Yes, we are. We are build back Building better. back better. <laughs> build back better. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, so that's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. If you like the podcast, again, please do consider donating if you have that. Uh, have the means either through a donate link or um, with the lemons on DLive. Make sure you also join our email newsletter link in the description. If you text freedom to 89517, you'll get text alerts when we go live. That's very important. Lots of people complain that our Facebook audience goes down towards the second hour of the show. That's because Facebook doesn't alert anyone that we're still live after we start. So the only alert that Facebook sends out is that initial conservative daily is live. So when we go to the second hour, no one knows about it. No one organically finds us because they're throttling us. So make sure you sign up for those email newsletters and the text alert system so you can get alerts when we are live. We go live Monday through Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube. Um, so make sure you like and follow our Facebook page. YouTube, we're probably not coming back, but maybe we will. Who knows? DLive, make sure you follow and subscribe on DLive and as well as our own website and Twitch until Twitch finds that we're on there and then we'll probably get banned. Um, so make sure you find follow the audio version of the podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, all great places. Just check out all the links. They're good links. I, I put a lot of time and effort into the links, so make sure you check them out. That's going to be out. it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And my name is Joe Altman. And remember, everyone, that the fight to take back our country isn't over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together. <laughs>